welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. Please turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. There we're going to find uh, Barnabas and Saul are departing Syrian Antioch on their first missionary journey. Their uh, first stop is going to be the island of Cyprus, and uh, that's going to carry us through verse 12 today. Uh, And I'd like to begin by putting up a map that summarizes the route of this entire first missionary journey recorded in Acts chapter 13 and 14. They depart uh, Syrian Antioch on the right, um, then, then head across the sea. They leave out of a port called Seleucia, uh, setting sail west across the Mediterranean for the island of Cyprus. And uh, from there, next week, we will find that they turn north and head up into Asia Minor, uh, into Galatia, and uh, then they will backtrack to the sea and return home across uh, the Mediterranean to Antioch again. But as, uh, as, as for today, we're only going to travel as far as Paphos, and that is the capital city of the island of Cyprus, uh, where Paul's first recorded convert will be a man by the name of Sergius Paulus. Uh, he is the proconsul or governor of Cyprus, and uh, we will observe how Saul is going to have to engage in a little bit of spiritual warfare uh, against evil forces of darkness uh, for the soul of Sergius Paulus uh, once he reaches the far side of the island, uh, an island almost completely engulfed in darkness. Reading now verses 4 through 12 of Acts chapter 13. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John as their helper. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, uh, they found a magician, a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus, uh, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elemus, the magician, for so his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him and said, "Uh, You who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make the crooked make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. 
And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. So after being called by God, called by God into ministry, there there comes a a point in time where you have to set sail, and uh, yet over 10 years has now passed since Saul was first converted on the road to Damascus and began preparing himself for ministry. And uh, for the rest of the book of Acts, for the balance of this book, Saul, who will go by his Greek name now, Paul, uh, he's going to remain the prominent figure for the remainder of this entire book. You know, sometimes younger people will, uh, will state, uh, when they first begin training for ministry, younger people, both guys and gals alike, they'll think, you know, I'll just never get anywhere. I'll never make it. Uh, the, my day will never come. Uh, but if God has called you, and as you remain faithful and true, uh, you and, and perhaps your family with you, you there will come a day when you will eventually set sail. And once you finally do, you're going to ask yourself this question, what in the world am I doing in Cyprus? After all these years of toil and preparation and how my church has sent me out and, and I've, I find myself now standing on a hot, rocky, desolate, forbidding island in the middle of the sea. This is ministry. There will be no camera crews there waiting for you. Probably no one to help you carry your bags. No fancy hotel. And this is missionary work. And if you're considering missions of any kind or, or occupational ministry, uh, perhaps somebody here is, uh, this is what it will be like today. When you have finally arrived after being sent out by the Holy Spirit uh, to a place you've never heard of before, Solomis. You're going to ask yourself, why Solomis? Solomis is not a vacation destination. And the reason that you landed there, it's not even going to dawn upon you uh, until you reach the far side of the island In fact, if I were to retitle this today at the end of the week, I'd say that'd just be the title, The Far Side of the Island. Because once you begin a new ministry or a new ministry track, uh, it's probable that you're going to have to walk a long, long way through spiritual darkness before you will even see a single conversion. This is the story of what happens to Barnabas and Saul after they landed in Cyprus. Notice how in verse 5, immediately they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. John, of course, was there as their helper. Uh, Solomis, it was a populated city. Uh, And their mission, Saul and Barnabas took them through 
multiple cities and multiple synagogues. You'll see synagogues is in plural. As they made their way across the island. Could I have slide one here? They probably took this route as far as ancient routes go from Salamis down to Paphos. Land was forbidding, folks. There there are no five-star restaurants here. Cyprus is kind of a rough and treacherous island. Could I have the next slide, please? That's kind of the coast. Rough place. Desolate place. Uh, One more slide. Give us an idea, maybe a little more representation there of the coastline of the island of Cyprus. You know, we might not think that uh, walking 100 miles along the coast is a very big deal. But remember, that comes from people with an experience of driving around the parking lot for 10 minutes trying to get a closer spot to Publix. (laughs) This was not a pleasant trek for them. Um, Saul and Barnabas, they had to first set sail across the ocean. and, And next... The trip from Salamis to Paphos uh, probably took them several weeks uh, because they proclaimed the word of the Lord, they proclaimed the word of God in, in not just one synagogue, but in multiple synagogues along the way. Um, and in that case, their trek from Salamis down to Paphos uh, would have required several Sabbath days to achieve. You know, granted, Barnabas, who was a native of Cyprus, uh, probably had some contacts there that they could look up. Uh, but the Jews in the synagogues along their path, uh, they were not responding to the gospel, not positively to the gospel. They weren't receptive. If they would have been, the writer who's named Luke, uh, he would have made note of that as he traditionally does, uh, even when there are only a, a small number of, of converts as Paul experienced in Athens. But Luke notes no response to the gospel. And the following is perhaps serving us as the most valuable lesson most valuable lesson of this passage as it serves us today. We talked a little bit about this in evangelism training this morning. Here it is. Sometimes when you are doing evangelism, it will feel like you cross the sea and have walked a hundred miles across desolate terrain to proclaim Christ week after week only to find one person who will believe. And the Apostle Paul's experience on this island reflects what what often becomes our experience in our day. It's, It's reality, what we're seeing here in these verses. You know, nothing in Acts would suggest to us uh, that we should be expecting to experience um, the same effects seen in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost again and again, over and over. You know, that immediate 
conversion of 3,000. We, we saw that earlier in this book, the explosive growth that followed. Uh, that was to confirm that the Holy Spirit was truly poured out on Israel, poured out on the Jews, exactly as the Old Testament had promised time and again. But that early exponential growth is not presented as typical throughout the New Testament. You know, whenever a church or denomination or a religious movement has concluded that every Sunday must replicate that first day at Pentecost, uh, they will modify their behavior and adjust their theology in order to make themselves think that they have achieved it. And they will be falsely professing how they are experiencing Pentecost every Sunday. Meanwhile, our anticipated success, at least as the examples are laid out in the New Testament, they'll usually be much more modest. And sometimes, as Barnabas and Paul have discovered, along with John, sometimes it's, it's almost like conversions are non-existent. Friends, your faithfulness to our Lord Jesus Christ and the great commission that he gave us to, to go into all the world and to preach the gospel it is not going to be assessed by how many people respond that that is up to God's decree. Faithfulness will be assessed according to how far you are willing to walk, even to reach just one person. How far will you stretch yourself to show God's love through the gospel, even to just one person? Faithfulness in the, the absence of response, we will find uh, it is a spirit-filled ministry. Our passage, our passage establishes from the very beginning, you'll see it in verse 4, uh, that Barnabas and Saul were sent out by, not, not only by the church, but sent out by the Spirit. Uh, that, that term there, sent out, means dispatched by the, seer, by the Spirit. Sent by the Spirit and assures that uh, the Holy Spirit was guiding this mission. And verse 9 assures us that Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit. So, so what we envision, what we envision as being, you know, just disappointing results on the island of Cyprus, they're not disappointing results to God. He has sovereignly decreed from before the foundation of the world that there wouldn't be great results in Cyprus. God knew that. And since it is not you and not me, but God who is sovereign to open hearts and the Spirit who regenerates, there'll be 
observed clearly with Lydia when we get to Acts chapter 16. Uh, you know, folks, we, we can stop being discouraged by small numbers. No need to be discouraged by small numbers of responses. God is satisfied. As you are faithful to witness, God is satisfied. Would you just please do your job and walk to the far side of the island? Quit making excuses for not walking and not trying. And at the end of the day, honestly, I would rather walk 100 miles to to reach one true brother or sister, someone like Sergius Paulus. I'd rather walk 100 miles to reach one true brother than to fill a church with 500 false professions orchestrated by man along the way. Because up until this point in verse 6, Saul and Barnabas and, and John, they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos. Uh, you know, this is an island almost three times the size of Rhode Island. Presumably without seeing a single conversion. Well, now those are evangelism results I can relate to. Yeah, yeah this is believable. This is something I can personally relate to. And it is in verse 6 where we discover that, that for Barnabas and Saul, to, to even reach that one single soul, their only convert on the island, at least as we can observe, in order to reach that single soul, they're going to have to cross swords with a sorcerer. It's true. It's true. The passage told us they, they found a magician. It can be translated as sorcerer, someone who conjures spirits. He was a false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus. From the outset, from the outset, this man who's eventually revealed with the name Elemus. From the outset, he's classified as a false prophet. False prophet. He's not a prophetess or someone who speaks for God. He's a pseudo-prophetess. He's someone who falsely claims that he speaks for God. And folks, such people are everywhere today. Saul and Barnabas enter the capital of Cyprus only to find that its highest political leader was being smothered by someone who falsely claims to speak for God and who is referred to with the name Bar-Jesus or or Son of Jesus. You, You couldn't make this up. I don't think you could possibly find a more realistic situation than exists in our day. False prophets who claim to speak for God and who identify as offspring of Jesus and then attach themselves to leaders in authority. 
you know, they fly their Learjets into D.C. and latch right on to anyone of prominence who will pose for a photo op with them. You know, many of you realize or, or know from my background that I was in evangelistic ministry in a state capital uh, back in the day, state capital of North Dakota is where I was assigned, uh, one of many, many men who were doing this. And I was in evangelistic ministry in the state capital of North Dakota, and, and I became close friends with, uh, with a man who is now a, a sitting U.S. senator in D.C., um, we were close enough where Reed and I were invited to enjoy Thanksgiving dinner with them and their family over at their house. Um, and when in the Capitol, I did all I could to avoid getting caught in a photo op with the officials that I knew uh, because politicians recognize nearly everyone. Nearly everyone there is using them to advance themselves and for self-promotion. From the outset of that ministry, the day I landed in, on Cyprus, I was determined, I'm not going to do that. You're not going to see me as someone who's latching on for self-promotion. You know, we're not told how Bar-Jesus uh, or Elimus attached himself, or why, to Sergius Paulus exactly, but rest, rest assured, rest assured it wasn't for the benefit of Paulus. Yet we do know, verse 7, that uh, Sergius Paulus was a man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Now we're in business. Sergius Paulus was seeking to hear the word of God. So, so the stage for the battle is set. Um, scenes almost reminiscent in, in certain ways of Elijah and the false prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. Uh, there's going to be a showdown here. And, and Sergius Paulus has become determined. He wants to hear this word of God. Alemus, he, he taps him on the shoulder and says, but I'm already here. I, I'm the one here who speaks for God. And Serge replies, no, I, I was actually hoping to hear the word of God. And, and Elimus becomes infuriated at the prospect that, that somebody else has stepped in uh, to what he has marked as his own territory. And in verse 8 then, Elimus the magician for so his name, uh, Elimus, is translated, was opposing Saul and Barnabas, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So here you go. This is just to enhance our experience from earlier. What we found earlier, what we learned earlier. You know, not only are you going to have to walk 100 miles crossed wasteland, rocky ground, to find a single listening ear. Once you do, someone who has identified themselves falsely as a son of Jesus, or bar Jesus, has already long been filling their head with all kinds of errant religious nonsense. And they're doing it in the name of Jesus. 
Folks, this is precisely what we experience every day in, in America. This ought to be material included in any Bible college course. You title it, Introduction to Spiritual Warfare 101. Because when you enter into spiritual battle, you'll be striving to tell people the truth. While another source who, who claims to speak for God, who claims to be an offspring of Jesus, will, will be telling that person something completely different, trying to lead that person away from Jesus. That's spiritual warfare. Battle over the word. What, what's Paul going to do here? Now, this is like metaphorically, you know, just a bare knuckles brawl for a single soul on Cyprus. And it is the essence of true spiritual warfare. Both sides claim to speak for God. And you who are going to stand with the truth, you're going to have to engage with those who are opposed and attempting to turn people away from the faith. What we're seeing here is demonic. This is spiritual warfare. Now, Christians don't go, need to go around place to place casting spirits, imaginatively casting spirits out of places. The warfare is over the word. It's the war of the word. And what we see here is demonic. Yeah, is Paul just going to give up? Nah, I fold. No, no, not a chance at all. He's probably said to himself, uh, you know, I, I've walked several weeks and a hundred miles for this opportunity. And remember, Sergius Paulus had summoned Paul and Barnabas to hear the word of God. So this, this stage is set for Paul. Moment, moment belongs to Saul. Uh, but Serge has a false prophet still speaking into his ear. Paul's response is recorded in verse 9. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. So this describes a man who is being controlled by the Holy Spirit. He fixed his gaze on Elemus and said, You who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? You know, there comes a point when, when people who claim to speak for God and, and sow disinformation, um, there comes a point to call them out as heretics. It's a spiritual thing to do. So today I've created a list. Yeah, I'll probably save that for another day. But perhaps the, uh, the best way to identify false prophets is to begin uh, making your list 
with anyone who says, you know, God told me. God spoke to me. But who don't then immediately take you to the pages of the Bible and show you exactly where chapter and verse. What they're claiming, they are claiming they are a medium for God. When they say God spoke to them, and then they're going to relay the message to you. You know, God's supplying us wisdom, spiritual intuition to make decisions. That's a completely different concept. Uh, If you need wisdom, ask of God. If you're indwelt with the Spirit, ask of God. And he, He will convey it to you liberally, James chapter 1 says, without reproach. But anyone who claims God is speaking to them so that they can convey it to you, they propose to be a prophet, adding prophecies and pages to the things that are written down in this book, and they are a false prophet. And God is going to add to them the plagues and the judgments that are written in this book. But even those who point to the pages of this book, the Bible, yet then represent God's words falsely, boy, they, they, are, a, they are formidable opponents in our day. Wow. I wonder what the Apostle Paul would say, or what he would be saying today, if he had to watch what people who are misrepresenting what God has said, if he had to watch what they're saying on the internet or on the television, and like Elimus are are making crooked the straight ways of the Lord. Folks, there are demonic forces everywhere. Everywhere. And to win Sergius Paulus, Paul had to cross swords with this sorcerer you remember Simon the sorcerer back in Acts chapter 8? You know, Simon had made a false profession of Christ. And Peter said to him, this is Apostle Peter now, may your silver perish with you because you thought that you could obtain the gift of God with money? You have no part or portion in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray that the Lord, pray the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bondage of iniquity. Boy, you know, before, before, In that occasion, Peter and John had arrived in a city in Samaria. Uh, Simon had been referred to by the people of God as, quote, the great power of God. That was Simon's title. Not son of Jesus, but Simon was the great power of God. Peter set the record straight there as well. Whenever a man or a woman claims to speak for God, or insists that they have a prophetic ministry. Um, we, we see this all the time in our day. YouTube, Daystar, TBN. 
It is all over the place. We are to call out what is crooked and perverse and proclaim the way that is straight. Saul, who um, will be referred to from this point forward by his Greek name, Paul, he calls out Elemas. He says, you are a fraud. What people say, well, you can't say that. Paul says, you are a fraud. He says, you're not a bar Jesus. You're not a son of Jesus. Instead, verse 9, you're a son of Diabolos. You are a son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. You know, all false information about Jesus, all, uh, all um, theological disinformation that contradicts God's word, uh, at its root, it's all satanic. Satanic. It's Satan. The devil himself is trying to, to sow false narratives and false theology and represent himself as being true, um, father of all lies. We want to be real confident of any claim made about God that is that it would be accurate before we click like and share. For that reason, we need to be students of the Word. We need to be able to tell people what is true. We need to be able to tell them when it's false. And Paul would later write to warn an understudy of his who was named Timothy. He said, study to show yourself approved to God. As a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. 2 Peter 2.15 You know, before you become a missionary, before you step out of your local church and, you know, onto that island of Cyprus where you'll land, folks, study Know the Word of God. Know what is true. Sooner or later, you are going to cross paths with Bar-Jesus. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. And when you finally reach that far side of the island and finally find somebody who will, who will listen to the Word of God, you're going to need to be able to point that person, him or her, away from the disinformation they've previously heard. And put them on the path that is straight. Know the Word. Study the Word. Memorize the Word. Don't show up at church every fifth or sixth week and miss 85% of what we're going through together in adult Bible class or, or here or Wednesday evening as well. Be a person of the Word. Study together. Memorize the word. Certainly a requirement for, for anyone who would go out in missions or ministry of any kind. And you're probably, well, you're thinking people. You probably already determined while listening to this that, you know, this spiritual battle, it isn't only in Cyprus. It's not only fought 
in the mission fields on faraway lands. You know, the battle for the truth that, that Paul and Barnabas ex- experienced in Paphos, it is, now, it is now going on daily everywhere. Everywhere the gospel is preached, including right here in Port St. Lucie. The spiritual battle everywhere. Spiritual warfare is a battle for the truth. We need to be prepared. We're, we're going to need to wear the whole armor of God, uh, which we don't have time for today, but will be coming in a, in a future message. And to win the battle, we're going, we're going to have to be prepared to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And that, that song today, that's great. We didn't coordinate that or anything. The sword of the Lord. Unsheath the sword. Be ready to do battle. It's the sword of the Lord. Wonderful song. Wonderful song. We must master the Word of God at least at least to the ability that we are able. Oh, why? Oh, what did Sergius Paulus, what did he want to hear? What, what, did, he, what did he come to hear? You know, I, I'm going to have to classify him as someone who is actually being called by God. God is drawing him to himself because verse 7 clearly states, he sought to hear the word of God. And the person who's going to believe is, is seeking that. They're, they're seeking to know what the Word of God says. When that's true, it, it, in the end, it doesn't ultimately really matter how much static you know, bar Jesus is going to create in the background. Um, what is going to matter is whether we are prepared from the Word to break through the darkness and to give them the truth that they need to trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Yeah, we're not going to have to worry about blinding anyone, all right? Now you're going to spend time on that. Uh, you and I are not an apostle, therefore we do not perform uh, the miracles and signs of a true apostle. Christians don't go around casting spells. If you think so, you've been watching a little bit too much Harry Potter. Instead, like, like Paul and Barnabas did on Cyprus, we travel about proclaiming the Word of God until we finally find someone who wants to hear. Missions and evangelism are really that simple. You may walk for 100 miles. You may, you may walk in the heat for weeks, place to place. Expect to encounter much rocky territory and spiritual darkness along the way. Not many are going to be receptive to the message that you bear. Um, If that is your experience, you're, you're probably doing something right. But eventually, as you move place to place, you're going to encounter someone like Serge. Folks, keep walking. Keep proclaiming. Eventually you are going to encounter someone desperate to hear the Word of God. Someone like Serge, he's going to have open ears to hear, open eyes to see. 
And this is when the gospel about Jesus Christ must be proclaimed faithfully and true. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as your Son could do no wrong, and as He fulfilled your perfect plan to redeem us from our sins and uh, to promise us that He's coming again, Father, this time not as a lamb, but as a lion, one who will come, a Savior who will come to install righteousness and truth and justice forevermore. Father, we do look expectantly for Him. We wait for the day, the joy that we will experience on the day that Your Son, Jesus Christ, is revealed from above. And Lord, we thank You for the work that He has done through us and for Your glory. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift His countenance upon you and give you His peace. Amen. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. <laughs>